In the name of Christ, the morning star that knows no setting. Amen. Today we are celebrating what is a minor holiday, probably on most of our calendars, but is actually one of the great celebrations of the church year, the Feast of Epiphany. Technically, Epiphany is tomorrow, 12 days after Christmas, but we're celebrating today. The original Greek meaning of the word epiphany is slightly different than in English. We use it to mean a sudden realization that comes out of nowhere. But in scripture, the meaning of the word epiphany is something closer to manifestation. The showing or manifestation of the true nature of something, of what something really is. In the Western church, Epiphany celebrates the manifestation, the showing of the true nature of the infant Jesus to the Magi, wise men from the East. It's not a big celebration, perhaps for most of us, but in the Spanish-speaking world, Three Kings is actually a bigger gift-giving day than Christmas. It's a big celebration. Some of you might know I lived in France for five years, which is also, where it's also celebrated very seriously. Starting from the day of Epiphany through February 2nd, bakeries sell special cakes. They're called Galette des Wois. And they're different from the New Orleans kind. It's sort of like delicious, flaky pastry with almonds inside. And each one of them has inside it a little ceramic figure, usually a wise man. And once you've bought a cake, the youngest person in the room is supposed to go under the table and decide who gets each slice so that the person who's most innocent and least likely to cheat is determining who gets the piece with the little ceramic king in it. And then if you get the ceramic king, you get to be king or queen for the day. You get to be in charge. I I actually tried my hand at making some of these cakes and we'll have them at coffee hour um, after the service if you'd like to join us, but there is a danger that you will be bossed around by someone that you don't expect. (laughs) Because the tradition is the person that gets the king should be unexpected. In fact, the president of France, by tradition, is allowed to eat the cake, but he or she is not allowed to eat one of the cakes that has one of the ceramic uh, kings in it because that it means that they could possibly get to be king or queen for the day and the king or queen for the day has to be someone unexpected. And I wanna talk a little bit more about what exactly was so unexpected about the first epiphany, about this manifestation of the true nature of Christ to the Magi. In fact, we can really think about the Christmas story, or really even the whole New Testament, as the the story of the gradual revelation of who Jesus is to a wider and wider and wider circle of people, sort of series of epiphanies over time. It starts with Mary, when she learns from the angel that she will give birth to a baby who will be the son of God and will cast down the mighty from their thrones and lift up the lowly. Then the circle widens as Mary tells her cousin Elizabeth, and then she tells Joseph, and it's confirmed to him by God in a dream. Then the shepherds are told by angels, and the circle keeps widening. 
And the important piece is up until the, that point in the story, all of the characters are faithful Jews. Up to this point, Jesus is described as the Jewish Messiah, come to save the people of Israel. And then something unexpected happens. Magi from the east show up in Jerusalem saying that a star has guided them to Judea to see the Jewish king. So who are these magi? The root word is magus. It's where we get the word magic in English. It's sometimes translated as wise men. And it's borrowed from old Persian, the language of the Parthian Empire, which is, was the empire to the east of Judea. And the ruling class there were called magi. They were known for their careful study of the stars. So the assumption of most scholars is that the Magi were nobles of this Parthian empire, which is today, appropriately given the news this week, Iran. The visit from the Parthians would have been a great shock to those who first heard this story, because the Parthians were the enemy, and they were constantly in conflict with the Romans, sort of eating away at the eastern edge of their empire. But it mostly would have been shocking because the Magi were not Jews. They did not worship the God of Israel. Historians say that probably the Magi would have been Zoroastrians, a Middle Eastern faith that later had a profound influence on Christianity and Islam. As practitioners of a different faith, what possible relevance those first readers must have asked could the birth of a Jewish Messiah have for them? And yet a star has miraculously led them to Jesus's cradle. And despite their high status, they kneel before him and acknowledge him as their king. That's the big deal about Epiphany. That's what we celebrate. The revelation of the fact that Jesus's saving work is intended to bring Gentiles, non-Jews, most of us here today, to worship the God of Israel through this baby. It's the widening of the circle to include us, to include each one of us here today. St. Paul explains that through Jesus, those of us who are not Jewish are given the gift of being able to worship the one God. The Jewish covenant with the Lord has its own integrity and wholeness as it is. Jesus came so that those of us who are not Jewish could, by God's grace, establish our own relationship with the living God. And so the Magi, in a sense, symbolize you and me. They symbolize everyone not born into the Jewish covenant. But at the same time, as Parthians, they're ancestors of the present-day practitioners of Islam. And by their presence in Bethlehem, they're our ancestors, the ancestors of those who worship Christ. And so I've been meditating a lot in the last week on the image that this text presents. The infant Jesus at the center, in the arms of his faithful Jewish parents, with the poor outcast shepherds around him standing shoulder to shoulder, with the rulers of one of the great empires of the world, all standing close, maybe jostling a little bit to get a look, joined together in devotion to this little baby the unexpected God come to earth. Enemies united as they join together to see true holiness. 
people of different faiths, Jews, Zoroastrians, ancestors of Muslims, ancestors of Christians, all united in the desire to seek God. And as I meditate on that image, I am overwhelmed with gratitude for the Jewish people who have been faithful to their God for thousands of years, often at great cost. And I am reminded of their faith, that their faithfulness is what allows me as a Gentile to have the privilege of access to the Hebrew scriptures and traditions. I am reminded and led to gratitude that their faithfulness is what allows me the privilege of worshiping God by the grace of a Jewish savior. And I'm also overwhelmed with gratitude for these Parthians, these Iranians who had the courage to follow a star and the humility to bow to a poor child born of a foreign faith to a foreign people. After all, it was their bravery in defying Herod that allowed Jesus to escape Herod's wrath. And it was their descendants of the Muslim faith who during the Dark Ages protected the fragile books and traditions that Western Christianity in a time of war and disease was unable to hold itself. We live in a time when anti-Semitic attacks are dramatically increasing and anti-Semitism in general is becoming more and more common, almost accepted, it's sort of in the water. And, um, and I wanna be very clear in saying I am very obviously a priest and not a general or a policy expert, and I certainly don't know what the right way forward is in our relationship with modern day Iran. But whatever happens, it seems clear that we will hear more and more talk of Muslims as our enemies, of the people of Iran as our enemies. And in light of both these things, it will become more and more important for us as Christians to remember that image of the infant Jesus, God with us, nurtured by a Jewish family and saved by wise men from present day Iran. It will become more and more important to remember a time when the shepherds and the wise men and the holy family stood shoulder to shoulder seeking God. It will be important to remember that we are able to practice our Christian faith today thanks to the courage and the faithfulness of our brothers and sisters of other faiths. And this means more than just making an extra effort to be nice to people of other faiths. In times of conflict, we are called to love more deeply and more sacrificially. As Christians, we are called even to love our enemies. We are called to stand up when they hear the faith of others insulted, when we hear destructive stereotypes repeated, and we are called to approach the faith traditions of others as the Magi approached Jesus, with humility and with gratitude. And maybe in that posture we might receive yet another epiphany, another manifestation of who Jesus is and what it means to follow him. Amen.